Good morning. Uh, may it please the court and uh, Mr. Lammers. My name is Mark Meyer. Uh, I'm appearing on behalf of appellant Carlton Maxwell. Um, Mr. Maxwell is um, serving a 210-month sentence for uh, four offenses, three counts of distribution of a controlled substance and one count of conspiracy. The issues on appeal relate to uh, several instructions that were given relating to the conspiracy charge and also the manner in which uh, the sentence was determined. Um, the, um, the issues relating to the conspiracy conviction um, pertain to several instructions that um, were requested but not given. And the question is, um, uh, should the court have given them, and if was a failure to do so uh, prejudicial uh, to the, the defendant? Um, the instructions in question um, relate to the three distribution counts and uh, whether or not the evidence relating to those um, the, the jury should have been apprised that uh, there had to be more than the evidence of the distributions to constitute a conspiracy. Um, the instructions in particular are that um, um, there, uh, there is no conspiracy involving uh, just the defendant and a government agent. Um, but that wasn't the facts in this case, though, was it? With respect to the three distributions, it was, Your <laughs> Honor. Um, the the uh, the distributions were to um, a person who was a paid informant, and and so the the basis for instruction is that alone does not constitute a conspiracy. There would have to be more. Um, there is also related to that is that the, the controlled buys with this paid informant uh, were just part of a buyer-seller relationship. Uh, the, the, the quantities involved were all small amounts of heroin and one transaction involving 3.5 grams of methamphetamine. So that buyer-seller relationship, it doesn't... Uh, 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 constitute a conspiracy. Um, I thought that, counsel, I thought that the uh, the government's theory was that it was Maxwell, his son, um, Mr. Davis, Mr. Graham, and Mr. Grays were all part of a conspiracy, not that the government agent was part of that conspiracy. Um, yes, that, that's that's true. Uh, and that's, that's the point, I think, of, the, of, of requesting these instructions is this informant wasn't part of that conspiracy. But the, the, the jury, not being so apprised, could have assumed that that was evidence of the conspiracy, even if they had decided to disregard the uh, testimony of two other informants who uh, testified that there was a conspiracy involving these other individuals and Charl Carlton Maxwell. Uh, well, what does it matter, though, if they thought, I mean, you, you know, 
if there's a conspiracy already between these individuals, what does it matter whether the jury thought that the government agent was part of that conspiracy or not? It doesn't. It doesn't really go. It doesn't really matter for purposes of the existence of the conspiracy itself. Um, well, I think that goes into the question of prejudice. I mean, clearly, uh, with respect to these transactions, there was a buyer-seller relationship, and the informant uh, was a government agent. So those transactions didn't establish a conspiracy. Um, was there other evidence to establish a conspiracy? Well, that's, that's the question, and, and that would be what would you know, arguably make these instruction errors harmless. But our position is that there, the jury could have ignored what these other, Mullen, I'll give names to them, Mullen, Mullen and Gray said, uh, because it was completely, uh, or nearly completely uncorroborated. It was just their claim about what happened. The jury could have said, well, I don't believe you, Mullen, I don't believe you, Grays. You never said anything about Maxwell being part of a conspiracy until you needed some help from the government, and all of a sudden now Maxwell's part of a conspiracy. And, Mullen and Grace, you changed your story uh, prior to trial to bring Maxwell, Carlton Maxwell, more into a conspiracy. So the jury could have decided we're not going to believe Mullen and, and, uh, and Grace. So that's that's the basis. There, there was another um, argument uh, with respect to uh, the instructions, um, but I'll, I'll move on. I think to uh, the uh, the question about uh, the sentence that was imposed. You know, I, I just briefly went over grounds that. Uh, and this was elaborated upon in, in the, the briefs, the reason that Mullen and Grays uh, uh, were not sufficiently credible uh, and reliable that to uh, support the probable accuracy of what they said, which is, you know, the basic bare minimum standard for um, a judge relying on, on, on testimony uh, to establish um, the facts for imposing a, a sentence when it's based well, on quantity. I'm sure you're aware of the very high bar of a credibility argument at this juncture. What what takes this case out of the, the typical case where uh, the deference owed to the jury's credibility conclusions uh, is undisturbed? Yeah, well, in this case... The, the judge decided to credit, uh, the district court judge decided to credit for purposes of sentencing what Mullen and Gray said because um, there was a search of another individual that was supposedly part of the conspiracy. Um, okay, so this is the Mr. Davis sentencing credibility. For said. sentencing credibility, right. I, I, I assume that's what you're talking about rather than... Well, you're in the sentencing part. I'm in the sentencing part. Yeah, I misspoke. Right. Go ahead. Um, so um, uh, this individual had a significant amount of, of methamphetamine. The judge said that because this individual had a... Bernard Davis had a significant amount of 
drugs in, and he was satisfied, the judge was, that what Mullen and Gray said about Carlton could be true, that he had a significant amount of drugs. And I think that, I think that's too many, uh, a chain of inferences far too tenuous to justify that finding. Uh, that because somebody who supposedly is part of a conspiracy had a large quantity of drugs, the informant said that Charlton had a large amount of drugs, and therefore Charlton had a large amount of drugs. I mean, I, I, that's just, I think, um, faulty reasoning in this case by the judge, which sets it aside from your typical um, um, case where a quantity determination is based on what an informant said. The other thing is that there was nothing about Carlton's lifestyle that indicated that he was selling large quantities of drugs, which was a factor that was mentioned in the United States versus Simmons, which was a case I just submitted with a 28J letter earlier in the week. Um, so... Um, then our fallback position is, with respect to sentencing, even if the, the judge correctly concluded that he could rely on what the informant said for purposes, not the informants, uh, Gray's and um, uh, Mullen said about Charlton's involvement in the conspiracy and the quantity, is it proper for the judge to use a high estimate versus a low estimate where the informants have said, have made two different estimates themselves? Um, this is the Walton rule um, that um, was um, the subject of the, the Rule 28J letter. In other words, if an informant, if there's evidence that a, that a defendant distributed 100 grams. And there's also evidence that a defendant uh, distributed a kilo. And the evidence supporting the 100 grams or the kilo is no more compelling than the evidence that supports the 100 grams. Why is it a violation uh, of due process or proper procedure to apply the higher estimate? Um, and the Walton rule is that... Uh, under those circumstances, due process limits the application or the, the, the use of the higher estimate because it's more likely to be false. Or, uh, it's likely to be false or just as likely to be false as the lower estimate. So um, those um, are um, basically my, uh, the, the, the basis for uh, challenging the instructions and also the sentence imposed and I'll reserve Counsel, could I ask you a question before you, before you reserve sure. time? The buyer-seller instruction. Right. What evidence was there that there was just a buyer-seller relationship as opposed to a drug or a vast drug conspiracy between the five individuals we talked about earlier? Um, well, the buyers. <laughs> so the the name of the of the, the paid informant uh, was Trues. He got into he got arrested. He was told that he could help himself if he you know 
tried to arrange some controlled buys. He did. He arranged three controlled buys um, with Charlton Maxwell. And that's the extent, and they were for small quantities. They weren't for redistribution level uh, quantities. Uh, okay, so it sounds to me like it's the same basis as the, uh, the government uh, or the government agent instruction that you wanted. It's just like basically same facts. Yeah, same facts, right. Okay, yeah. thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Meyer. Mr. Lammers. May it please the court, counsel. Good morning, your honors. My name is Jack Lammers. I represent the United States of America. I'm an assistant United States attorney in the Northern District of Iowa. I want to address a couple of issues that were raised by uh, Mr. Meyer on his uh, opening argument to the court. First of all, I think Mr. Meyer um, referred to the uh, testimony of uh, cooperating witnesses as uncorroborated. And I know throughout the brief, uh, the phrase uncorroborated came up a lot. Uh, I would submit to the court that that is simply not an accurate um, description of what occurred at this particular trial. At this particular trial, as the court's aware, there were three controlled buys. <clears throat> Granted, they were three relatively small controlled buys by uh, Mr. True from the defendant on December 5th, December 6th, December 13th of 2019. Uh, those, if they were the basis, uh, the sole basis for the case, um, Mr. Meyer and the defendant would have a, a pretty good argument that there was no conspiracy involved and that potentially a, a buyer-seller uh, instruction should have been warranted. However, that was not the extent of the evidence that was uh, put in front of the jury. The evidence that was put in front of the jury was that in addition to these three controlled buys, uh, there were search warrants done at the homes of other members of the conspiracy. There was a search warrant done, uh, I believe, at uh, 223 Fifth Street, uh, the home of uh, Bernard Davis. There was, in fact, a controlled buy of two ounces of methamphetamine with the co-conspirator, Antoine Davis, as he left 223 Fifth Street in Mason City, Iowa. When the search warrant was done at 223 uh, Fifth Street, Mason City, Iowa, Mr. Davis jumped out of the window, ran off, and when the agents got into 223 Fifth Street, or Fifth Avenue, I'm sorry, I don't recall specifically, uh, they found over a pound of methamphetamine, they found nearly two ounces of heroin, they found four guns. There was a search warrant at um, 807 North Federal uh, in Mason City, Iowa. 807 North Federal was the residence of the head of the conspiracy, Michael Graham or Tuffy, uh, and the testimony was replete throughout the trial. Everyone stated, these folks are in a conspiracy together. Even Mr. True, who actually was the, was the informant and bought the small amounts, even he said, the head of this conspiracy is Tuffy. He's the guy in charge. He's the boss. Search warrant is done at that particular residence, and a firearm is found, and I believe there was some heroin found uh, as well. Uh, all of these factors, as well then as Charlie Ann Mullen uh, and, uh, or Charlie Ann Kling uh, and Armando Gray stated, there's a conspiracy here. The defendant's involved in a conspiracy. The defendant is trafficking methamphetamine. The defendant is trafficking heroin. The defendant is trafficking quarter pounds of methamphetamine. Uh, in fact, uh, Mr. Gray says the defendant trafficked to him personally 
three to four quarter pounds of methamphetamine, uh, and probably more. I think he was very conservative in his estimate. He says he saw the defendant breaking down pounds of methamphetamine, not at the same place that the co-defendant Juan or Antoine Maxwell did, but at the 8th Street address. And then further, there's a search warrant at the 8th Street address where there is packaging materials found, and the 8th Street address is the defendant's resident, residence. <coughs> excuse me. There's packaging materials found. There's what uh, agents believe to be uh, a small amount of uh, heroin, uh, and there are, uh, there's handgun ammunition in uh, the defendant's room. The agents corroborated the testimony of uh, the cooperating individuals. The agent said, we saw Charlton Maxwell on a weekly basis at the 5th Street address, the Bernard Davis address, where the large amounts of uh, methamphetamine uh, and the heroin were found. The agent said, we saw Mr. Maxwell, Charlton Maxwell, on a weekly basis at Tuffy's apartment uh, on North Federal. So. I guess the idea that somehow or another this is simply an uncorroborated allegation by someone who comes in and says, oh yeah, that, that guy, Mr. Maxwell, is involved uh, in drug trafficking, that's not supported by the facts that the, uh, that the jury heard and the, uh, uh, the information that was put in front of the jury. The, uh, the district court stated in regards to drug quantity, the district court stated uh, that it had more comfort in its decision based on the fact that there were large amounts of methamphetamine actually found. Didn't state that the only reason that it found the drug quantity that it did was because Mr. Davis had a pound of methamphetamine or over a pound of methamphetamine and eight, or excuse me, two ounces of heroin, but it said that that helped give him some comfort uh, in his determination uh, in making the, uh, the decision. So I don't think that uh, the district court using the corroboration to support its drug quantity determination is somehow um, an improper determination when the court de decided uh, that the defendant was involved in uh, the drug quantity that he was. I would like to point out to the court as well that this is a very conservative estimate of the drug quantity that the defendant was involved in. For example, in the pre-sentence report, Mr. Tucker, uh, I don't remember, recall his first name, but Mr. Tucker is bringing 10 ounces of methamphetamine during the course of the conspiracy. He's bringing 10 ounces of, or, excuse me, 10 ounces of heroin from Detroit to Mason City. And he's bringing that 10 ounces of methamphetamine to the head of the conspiracy to uh, Tuffy Graham. The defendant's not held accountable for that. It's listed uh, in the pre-sentence report, but he's not held accountable for that. The defendant's not held accountable for the two ounces of methamphetamine that Antoine Maxwell, his son, sold to the confidential informant Ben True in, I believe, April or May of, uh, of 2020, I believe it was. He's not held accountable for that, even though it's during the, during the course of the conspiracy. He's not held accountable for uh, Charlie Ann Mullen or Kling's statement that she bought drugs from him between 150 and 200 times. The pre-sentence report scored it as 80 uh, instead of 150 to 200 times. A very conservative estimate of the drug quantity. He's not held accountable for the methamphetamine and the heroin that was actually recovered from Bernard Davis's home. So <clears throat> contrary to, um, I guess, the argument that somehow or another uh, this drug quantity is falsely or not falsely, excuse me, uh, is somehow inflated. 
the court was very conservative in its uh, determination as to what drug quantity uh, that the defendant should be held accountable for. The court did exactly what we want uh, the district court to do. Uh, the court made a credibility determination. Uh, it listened to the testimony at the trial. Uh, after it made the credibility determination, it found by a preponderance that the defendant was responsible for the drugs that the defendant was responsible for. And in fact, again, conservatively, really only the drug quantity that went through the defendant's hands personally. This case, the cooperators are corroborated. They're corroborated between themselves. They're corroborated by observations of law enforcement. They're corroborated by search warrants uh, that were done um, by law enforcement. Uh, and they're corroborated by what everyone else who testified stated. Here's the conspiracy. Here's who the head of the conspiracy is. Here's the structure of the conspiracy. And they were consistent among one another. Your Honors, the district court, the jury got this right uh, in its determination. And I would state, uh, I, I think uh, Mr. Meyer said something along the lines of, you know, the jury, um, the jury could have rejected the cooperator's testimony and still then found him guilty because of this lack of uh, instruction. I don't believe that to be accurate. The jurors had to accept, at least in part, some of the cooperator's testimony to reach the verdict that they reached. They determined that the defendant was involved in a conspiracy to distribute more than five grams of actual pure methamphetamine. Mr. True never bought more than five grams of actual pure methamphetamine. So the jury, by its verdict, had to have said, we believe, at least in part, uh, these cooperators. Counsel, can I ask you about the buyer-seller buyer instruction? Is the idea here um, to rely on the large quantities um, automatically get you a buyer-seller instruction, which I have some concerns about? Or was the idea that there was no evidence of a buyer-seller relationship, that there was this sort of five-member conspiracy and they were passing drugs along to each other? What's, what was the theory behind not giving the buyer-seller instruction? Well, and I think the district court uh, uh, answered that, Your Honor, uh, when it stated in, uh, in its order overruling um, the buyer-seller instruction, instruction is uh, said, well, if it was Mr. True and Mr. True only, uh, then perhaps a buyer-seller instruction would have been warranted. Uh, and I think that that's a, a correct statement. Um, with Mr. True, we, we get what, I think, um, a quarter gram or something along those lines or a half a gram of heroin uh, on uh, three occasions and on one of those occasions uh, an eight ball of methamphetamine as well. And I think the district court correctly said, well, if that's all we had, then perhaps your request for the buyer-seller instruction would be warranted. But that's not all we have. What we have here are literally hundreds of drug transactions uh, between um, the defendant and... Uh, Charlie Ann Mullen. We have multiple drug transactions of larger quantities between the defendant and Armando Grays. Uh, we have then uh, the larger drug transaction of a quarter pound of methamphetamine um, to Charlie Ann Mullen, which was supposed to be a half pound of methamphetamine with Charlie Ann Mullen. Uh, and the court said, based on this and based on the overall structure of the conspiracy with the defendant's place in the conspiracy, there's simply the, the buyer-seller instruction is not warranted. And I believe that's a correct assessment of the evidence that was uh, put in front of the jury. And if the court has uh, uh, no further questions, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Lammers.
Mr. Meyer, your rebuttal. Uh, <clears throat> in um, rebuttal uh, to the notion that there was uh, a lot of evidence in support of the conspiracy, um, I just want to point out uh, two things, that there were hundreds of transactions involving uh, Charlton Maxwell, a person who was under surveillance. Why were there no... Um, why was... No, there were no transactions involving no drug buyers coming or going from the residents observed during surveillance. Um, this notion that, uh, that um, Maxwell was involved in hundreds of transactions uh, involving methamphetamine is contrary to what both Mullen and Graves originally said. It was only in preparation for trial that all of a sudden that um, Kling decided that she had made hundreds of transactions involving methamphetamine with Charlton. And it was only in preparation for trial that Grays decided that, uh, in fact, uh, one of these other individuals had sent Grays to Charlton rather than to a different person to buy methamphetamine. They're ch they're, so that what they said at trial should be given credibility when they said something contrary beforehand, when they didn't have um, um, as much as much at stake, combined with the fact that the three controlled buys were the only drugs that were ob obtained from Carlton or found in his possession in the course of a two-and-a-half-year uh, uh, investigation. So... Uh, the notion that there's substantial corroboration for what Grays and Klings uh, or Mullen said is um, arguable, uh, to say the least. Um, so, uh, in, in summary, our, our position is that a person, because of his association with others, has been found guilty of a substantially more significant offense than is warranted. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Meyer, and thank you also for representing your client under the Criminal Justice Act. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Thank you, counsel, for the argument you've supplied to the court this morning. We will take the case under advisement. Madam Clerk, I believe we have one additional.